Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step right up to the Bread and Circuses podcast, where your hosts talk about anything they damn well please. So strap in while Rome burns and enjoy the clown show. Welcome back once again, Bread and Circuses Podcast. I am Rooster here with Crow. How you doing, Crow? Hello. Good. What's new? Uh, I am well, low energy today. Yes, you are. So let's see if we can like play an audio that'll get me all worked up. I think you brought some. All right. <laughs> you did, didn't you? I did. And I actually didn't listen to them first because I knew they were going to piss me off. And I know if I get that initial spike of rage, I get over it. And then when we talk, I'm like, oh, Mel, I'm like, oh, that made me like really mad to see that. <laughs> Wasn't it Socrates who said, know thyself? <laughs> it's him or Plato or somebody like that. You know? One of those uh, ancient Greek wise men. So, uh, well, again, as usual, we have a lot to talk about, but let's just get into this. Uh, Nancy got her hair did. Did you see that? Uh, Nancy Pelosi? Yeah, what, what is it? Um... She went into a – so this is a complicated story. I'll blow through it really fast because details aren't super important, but – Nancy Pelosi got outed by a uh, salon owner who got video of her getting her hair did in uh, getting a blowout in the salon uh, without a mask on. The two employees who were there wearing a mask. And Nancy says, yep, she's a bitch set me up, been going there forever. And apparently the salon owner, and this is not unusual, rents out chairs. And the independent hairstylist said, nope. She okayed the appointment to bring this person in because there can only be one at a time and the salon really is open and the owner says they're not. You can go back and forth about this stuff all the time. The point is, it is law in San Francisco right now that you have to wear a mask inside. Yep. doesn't matter if the salon's open, not open, whatever. Inside, wear a fucking mask. And Nancy's saying, nope, they set me up. It is hard to set someone up if you don't do the thing they tried to set you up for. She's not wearing the fucking mask. Well, wasn't there also a law that they couldn't use hair dryers because that spreads the Rona? Right, you can't. So I know, I know that's in Minnesota. That's right That's basically now. what a what a blowout is, isn't it? Just a wash and and a blow dry. Well, it's been a while since I've <laughs> had the dew blown out. Rooster for a visual. Rooster's flipping his uh, luxurious golden locks. Yes, golden locks. Mm-hmm. No, they're red, man. Ah, that's right. <laughs> um, no, so she got in trouble for this. And everybody's saying, oh, you know, it's much ado about nothing because she was set up and it was just trying to make her look bad. Nancy Pelosi does a great job of making herself look bad all the time. You mean David Lopan? Yeah, David Lopan. Jericho Green came up with that. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, so, she, I mean, she's breaking the law. And I did not know that Gavin Newsom, governor of California, is her nephew. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Well, the next day, changed it. Change, so change the law. If you're well, one, it's all good then. If you're one on one, then you can do well, it. And you know, those those two things had nothing to do with each other. They were merely coincidence. Everyone listening, remember that for later. Merely coincidence. These two things had nothing to do with each other. You know, so no big deal. Nothing to see here. Move on. And I, I think the left is completely missing the point that everybody on the right is getting. It's you know rules for you, but not for me. Yeah. The entire time. 
So we well, have, the, the we mayor have, of Chicago is, well, did the same thing where, where the salons were closed a month or two ago. Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice, yeah. Uh, the wall-eyed bitch, that's what I call her. And, uh, yeah, she went and had her hair did. And, I mean, who could tell the before and after? But she still looks like Beetlejuice before and after. There's no change. But she said, well, since she's the, the face of the, like, the public face of the yeah. city or something, that, uh, you know, she needs to do that. Yeah. Like, she yeah. decided it was okay for her to do it. Whatever excuse. So if I come up with excuse, it won't be good enough, though. Right. Yeah. But the point was, she was saying, yeah, I at least, you know, what's her name? Lightfoot? Mm-hmm. Lori Lightfoot Beetlejuice. Yeah. Even she, but she said, no, I understand, but I had to do it. So. It's blatant. You're like, you, you're not Blatant hypocrisy pretending. without even, like, maybe they don't understand how ridiculous it is, or maybe they just do, and they just think people are so dumb that it doesn't matter. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, and all the people on the left are like, nothing to see here, move yeah. along. You know, and CNN doesn't run it. Oh, you people on the right, you're making it mountains out of molehills all the time. Yeah, and I there's get, no slippery slope either. By the way, no I know. such thing. That's a fallacy. And I've always been one of those people who's like, yes, the media helps shape the narrative, but they don't just blatantly affect the news. Like, make it up. Until we got to this Trump calling the oh calling the, the veterans World War One veterans. Yeah, losers. Yeah. So yeah. supposedly he went uh, overseas, gave a speech, and this was in 2017. I think so. And uh, someone, who, who was it even that, that spilled and said that he, I mean, it wasn't even somebody that was writing a book or anything. I don't, I don't know if that person was named. Okay. So they immediately go around all these veteran families and say, what do you, what do you think about Trump calling people losers? They're like, what? And they're like, yeah, he called, he called the people who died in wars losers. Yeah. And wondered why we would even join forces with the allies in World War One. It's like, yeah. no, he didn't. And so. They have all these people that come out and say, no, we're behind the scenes. That never happened. And they say, well, of course you're going to say that. Well, John Bolton came out and goes. Yeah. I wrote a book slamming Trump. Yeah. And if that would have happened, it would have been in my book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I would have put it in there. Yeah. And so then they even said, yeah, Trump didn't go to visit that um, that mo- or uh, the graves at Normandy, I think it was, because he did, when he was over in France because he didn't want to get his hair messed up. It was raining. And that's why. So some intrepid reporter did a FOIA request for Freedom of Information Act to get some of the Navy documents. And it proved that the Navy said, we're not flying the helicopter there. And the Secret Service said, we're taking all back roads if we drive. So, no, we can't go. It was basically bad weather. And it wasn't because he was worried about his hair. It was just weather made it so that they could not go to that ceremony. But they just straight up fucking lied about it. Well, they they think this is a lie that'll that'll work because with the – disparaging the vets because what he did to McCain. He talked all kind of shit about McCain and his service. He said, you know, you got captured. I don't I don't think that's, uh, you know, brave or whatever. He said getting captured doesn't make you a hero. Right. So, I mean, people believe that he would say that because of what he said about McCain. Well, no. I don't like McCain, so I I, I didn't particularly care that, that that was okay that he said that. It sounded uh, rough when he said it. I'm like, ugh, I kind of wince and go, oh, I wish he wouldn't have said that. I remember the day after he said it, I went, I laughed with a couple of buddies of mine and said, well, how'd you like uh, Trump's run for president? Because it's about over. Yeah, it was rough. And, uh, but, you know. He just blew right on through it. Yeah, because people, because really people don't like McCain. Here's about, here's my thing about McCain or anybody else uh, who serves in Congress that long. I know McCain was in the Senate, but I'm, all-encompassing here. Um, you know, I 
I don't want to say I admire him for what he what he did in surviving the Hanoi Hilton. I mean, I don't. That's not something you admire somebody for. I am. I totally understand. I mean, I I appreciate what he had to go through. You know, it's not it's not something you. I mean, I guess I admire the amount of fortitude he had, but that's a hell of an accomplishment to live through that whole thing just to make it out alive. Um, but what did he do with his life after that? John Glenn, first man to orbit the Earth. What did he do with his life after that? They went into politics. Yeah. Politics is a fucking waste of time for useful people. And uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of good people who go in there and they just sit there. And this is why Joe Biden's saying he's going to do all this stuff. I think it's great when Trump says, why didn't you do it the first 47 years you were there? Why are you going to do it now? Yeah. Eight of it, you were the uh, vice president. So how come you didn't get done then? And it's it's a message that Trump keeps hammering that the right has never done that stuff before. Because I think partially because the right plays a little nicer with some of those rules. They're kind of like the kid gloves sort of thing. Uh, they they uh, lean a little more on – Well, decorum and, yeah, the, and decorum. The decorum and they want to abide by the rules because they realize once you stop – Abiding by rules, that's the road to chaos. Well, but they also, I mean, let's not, let's be honest. There's people like Chuck Grassley who've been in there just as long, don't want them turned around and saying, well, you've been here forever too, huh? Trump doesn't care. He's going to get in there and do his time and get out. He's not planning to stick around politics forever. Yeah. Which is what the founders pictured people who would serve to be like. Yeah, he's pretty much the embodiment of what they wanted. Yeah. Somebody who's made us, got, become successful and can take the time off to, you know, share his the knowledge, yeah. did it, and moved Get on. Get the hell out. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, this whole Trump losers calling these uh, vets losers thing, I think is yet another thing that's going to backfire. I mean, if they're going to do these things, they got to do them like three days before the election. Yeah. But even then, I don't think it's going to matter. It's all the mail in voting they're pushing. Um, Kamala Harris's dad. Did you hear him come out hard against her? I think he's done it before. Is this the is this a new one? Because I've heard like maybe a month or two ago when she was running for president that he found out that he wasn't a big fan of like her uh, uh, policies and all that. But I don't. I didn't hear the latest. Well, uh, I'm trying to find the quote here. Uh, okay, uh, Alan Abel. Uh, Donald Harris, so, no. So Donald Harris' rebuke of pot-smoking joy-seeker stereotype is one thing the Democratic presidential contender is disinclined to talk about. So uh, Kamala Harris is half Jamaican, half Indian. Her par- And they said in the story, well, her parents are divorced. They're separated. That's not feathers. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Yeah, it Whether- doesn't change your uh, your ethnic background. Yeah. So she went on the Breakfast Club last year with Charlemagne, and and they were like, "Oh, did you smoke pot?" She's like, "Yeah, I did, and I inhaled and all that stuff." Yeah, Let's forget. Listen to Tupac while I did it and all that. Yeah, who hadn't released an album yet yeah. and wouldn't for another two years. Um, but then on top of that, people were saying, "Well, what about all these pot smokers you put in jail?" And so she said, "She goes, I'm my family's half Jamaican. Of course, I've smoked pot." Anyway, mm. her dad. Just basically, went, oh, my dear departed grandmothers, as well as my deceased parents, must be turning in their grave right now to see their family's name, reputation, and proud Jamaican identity being connected in any way, jokingly, 
and this is a Stanford professor, by the way, jokingly or not, with the uh, fraudulent stereotype of pot-smoking joy-seeker and in the pursuit of identity politics. Speaking for myself and for my immediate Jamaican family, we wish to categorically disassociate ourselves from this travesty. This is even worse than like a Barack Obama's brother talking all kinds of shit about him from Africa. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, it was a big, big deal for a while there. But uh, that's this is her, her actual father, right? Saying this. Yes. <laughs> so in her uh, in her new campaign manifesto, the truths we hold, and this article is from. Uh, sorry, I got to scroll back. I'm doing this on my phone here. Um. Uh, Cleans no, I don't know. I'll have to find this in the bottom here. So, uh, the it's truth, fine. Take the, your time. I can edit. <laughs> yeah. Yet in her new campaign manifesto, the truths we hold, Professor Donald Harris disappears on page twenty of three hundred and is never mentioned again. Uh, in the early phase of interaction with my children, this is him, uh, came to an abrupt halt in nineteen seventy-two. Doctor Harris wrote when. When after a hard-fought custody battle in the family court in Oakland, California, the context of their relationship was placed within arbitrary limits imposed by a court-ordered divorce settlement based on the false assumption by the state of California that fathers cannot handle parenting, especially in the case of this father, uh, a Negro, oh, a Negro from the, <laughs> a Negro from the islands, and he phonetically spells that, quotes it was the Yankee stereotype, who might just end up eating his children for breakfast. Nevertheless, I persisted, never giving up my love for my children or reneging on my responsibilities as their father. Did he get that line from Blasey Ford? Nevertheless, I persisted. I don't know. Or, no, that was, uh, that was Elizabeth Warren. That was her thing. You remember that? During the campaigning, it was... Uh, she was. She kept yapping and yapping and yapping, and she was supposed to shut up. And a guy, one of the senator or the congressman, was was gaveling and saying, "You know, your time is up." And you know, she, he, finally at the end, he goes, "No matter." She just kept going, and I was telling her her time was up, but never, nevertheless, she persisted. And then, ooh, ooh, oh, all the feminists were like, "Ah, oh, that's a great phrase." So they were like uh, bumper stickers and T-shirts and signs where they were saying, with with Elizabeth Warren's face all proud and profile, going, "Nevertheless, she persisted." You know what? It- Elizabeth Warren, like many of these other politicians, regardless of side, need to be lost to the dustbin of history at some point here. And I'm stealing that phrase from someone who I can't credit right now. But these people are useless people. They weren't. They weren't useless people. They were smart. They had lots of ideas. They had good intentions and stuff. And now they just fucking sit in Washington, D.C. and bicker back and forth on television, but they're friends behind the scenes. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was no clearer than who's the current chief of staff? Is it Mark Meadows? I don't know. I get Mark Meadows and uh, there's two of those guys that get mixed up. Anyway, he's he was a friend of uh, Elijah Cummings. And one's on the right and one's on the left. And he said right in one of the House testimonies, uh, testimony things one time, he goes, hey, we're like super tight. You know, you can't call me racist. You oh, know me. Oh, I remember me. that, yeah. Yeah, my daughter, my grandkids are black, and you know, 
I mean, that whole thing. And you realize these – and Elijah Cummings like, yeah, we are really good friends. So going, you guys, this is a dog so it's and like, pony yeah, show. Yeah, so it's like a professional wrestling match with the heel and the baby face. And then they switch around. It's like, you know, they have their little scripts that they do in public. But then behind the scenes, they're working out together and having a beer. They, and, also, they all share the same fucking locker room and yeah. flight home. So, um, Yeah, I mean, that's just more – I mean, she was a terrible choice. Um, back to uh, Kamala Harris. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> um, she was a terrible choice. So it's like, like they make so many bad choices that it's almost like they wanted to throw the election. And then you find out that they're um, play, uh, most Democrats think that Trump is going to win in a landslide. But on the night of on election night, but when all the votes start coming in from all the mailed out ballots, then then it's going to turn out that that he loses. And, and that's what they're banking on. I want to get back to that. So in basically one, fraud in one second. But when we were talking, when you uh, mentioned the Kamala, it's Kamala. Yeah. Did you see I. There's the straw that broke the camel's back. The part of me just wants to resist liking Tucker Carlson because he's just so fucking smug all the time. You know, it's a lovable smug. But he puts together a good argument all the time. He's he's a smart guy, but he's just so and he does that does that face I hate where he's like, "This is my I'm shocked face." I love it. I it's hate like, it. I can't believe you just said that face, or I can't believe yeah. I'm having to talk about this. Face. Yeah, it's I love his it. really face. And uh, but he had Richard Goodstein on there. When uh, Kamala Harris comes on, he goes, you know, how is it that she can, you know, say all this stuff and basically attacking her record? And Richard Goodstein goes, first of all, Tucker, it's Kamala. Comma, like the punctuation, la. And Tucker, while he's doing it, goes, who cares? (laughs) He goes, so? And he goes, well, I think it's important that you pronounce her name right. And he goes, he says, "Uh, so I got her name wrong. Does that make me a racist? Am I racist now because I got her name wrong? He goes, I didn't do it intentionally. Fine, whatever. I'll call her whatever you want. Answer my question. And Richard Goodstein just goes on. See, this is the thing. There isn't enough respect. It's like, bitch, you don't want to answer the right. question. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's moving the goalposts. Oh. Or re- mi- redirecting. Misdirection. It's all. That's what they're all about. You know, it's like I, if I watch Fox and I see um, uh, Juan Williams on there, mm-hmm. I just think, Come on, Juan. You're trying too hard to make this look good. Richard Goodstein like to punch him right in his fucking mouth. Yeah. You know? I don't know. After – I used to watch The Five religiously, but um, then I stopped paying for cable. <laughs> but uh, Juan's on there quite a bit. Now I mean, he was on initially too, but he's on there quite a bit now. But him and uh, Greg Gutfeld are buttonheads all the time now because after the riots that happened, I mean, I guess Gutfeld's home was right in the middle of all of it. Yeah, he's over it. It, it affected him pretty uh, personally. And whenever he hears bullshit from the left, like Juan Williams, you know, his, um, you know, just spouting the same talking points that the left um, do, he's not having it. So he just lets him, you know, lets Juan, lets Juan have it. He goes, you don't even know what you're talking about. So it's pretty, pretty spicy, pretty fun to watch. Well, Cyrus is getting, Cyrus is getting like that, or Tyrus. Tyrus. Tyrus okay. He's getting on, like that too. On Greg's show? Yeah. Because they were talking about something like if somebody comes into a restaurant and they're putting their fists up like that and... Tyrus goes, he goes, I, I call that my, I got eight. And they're like, what's that? He goes, I got eight of them. The rest, yeah. you got to get the rest. Yeah. He's a former <laughs> professional wrestler, Tyrus. He's a big dude. Yeah. So. Yeah. Speaking of the, uh, all the, the new thing that the Marxists and the BLM are doing and going to outdoor patios and harassing people that are just trying to eat. Well, be- before we get to that, can yeah. we go back to the other thing yeah. I distracted you from yeah. about the, the electoral college count? The night of the election. Oh, yeah. Yep. Tim Poole has a video where he shows that 
the Democrats are saying, hey, just hang on, because it'll take about a week to sort this out. Trump's going to win on election night. And then the, uh, then the, and they said, it's even going to be a big win. There was somebody who showed a, a, uh, electoral map and it's like the West coast and part of the East coast goes to Biden. And then I think like Colorado was blue, but I mean, it. I think it even showed him losing Illinois. Oh, they had Minnesota red. Yeah. Minnesota was, there was like nothing in the middle of the country that was blue. It may have had Illinois, but I don't, I honestly don't think it did. Regardless, if and that I've, happens. But I've heard yeah. uh, counts now where people are starting to say, God, Biden might lose 400 to 138 in this whole thing. If that happens and that gets overturned somehow, there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be chaos everywhere. Thousands of people in hundreds of riots. Yeah. The violence we see killed. now is, is going to be nothing compared to what happens when, when that goes on because not only is the left going to continue ramping up what they've been doing, the right's going to join in. They're going to be like, nope, we're not having it. Yeah. Well, I saw something and, you know, a lot of this can just be bluster and talk. I, I always want to consider the sources on this, but uh, again, I think it was a Tim Pool thing. I, I've been watching so many videos on so many things, I can't keep track of who this comes from anymore. But some soldier was writing in about you people in in civilized life are soft. You don't know what war is. We've we soldiers have been to war. We've seen it. We're not going to let that stuff come to our country. Get your shit figured out or we're going to figure it out. And they're not saying, hey, which side are we on? They're just saying if people are going to be fighting in the streets doing this stuff, then soldiers are going to get it figured out. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to happen, but that's one more faction of people that's going to come to this whole thing. And, you know, when everybody's wearing different clothes and different outfits and everything, what's going to be the easiest way to distinguish if this goes off between who to shoot and who not to shoot? People are going to start shooting people that don't look like them. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen. Yep. So, I, I mean, you... I think there are a lot of, you know, groups like Patriot Prayer and things like that, um, the Boogaloo Boys and Proud Boys and all that stuff. They, you know, all these groups that they vilify and everything aren't fighting back like they probably could because they just keep thinking, we're going to let this electoral process, you know, roll itself up. And it would be one thing if Biden wins in a in a Bush Gore kind of thing, you know, where it's like... How, how do we count how many hanging chads? But if you really have a big red wave where Trump wins a bunch of stuff, they keep the Senate, maybe they even get the House back, and then a week later you start overturning stuff, nobody's going to settle for that. And it's funny, the left Democrats think that, you know, it's it's a given that if it comes down to it, that when the votes come in, it's going to be blue. It's going to be Democrat votes. Now, how, how why would that be any different than election day well because they know most of that's fucking fraud and the fraud benefits the left yeah that's very possible i also think it's possible that these people don't talk to anybody who ever disagrees with them they just shout at people who disagree with them you know but why would why would the people motivated to vote for trump all vote in person which i get because you're excited to get there and get your vote out but not vote like the ones that couldn't vote in person, why would they not vote on uh, mail-in? 
but we we don't know that because know, one of that's the why that's why it's weird that the left seems to think be very secure in the fact that the mail in is going to go Democrat. Well, one of the first mail in elections they had was a um, a runoff election in California in an area that yeah, was, was heavily it was heavily red, uh, turned blue in 2018, and uh, the. Republicans got it back in mail-in voting. And they said most of the mail-in voting that came in was Republican, which surprised the left. But then they said, oh, well, that's a red area anyway. Um, So my point is it it may be some grand conspiracy to roll out fraud. I certainly think it's easier to commit fraud that way. But it may be the idea that if you don't hang out with or listen to or even tolerate people of differing opinions – you just start to think that everybody around you believes what you believe. And I really think that's what they've got. They've got a terminal case of confirmation bias. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. I, I tend to believe in the, in the, in that they, they know that the only way to win is, is through fraud. And so whatever, whatever, any chance, they'll act like, well, no, this is all, if we don't allow this mail-in voting because of COVID, because of COVID this is disenfranchising. Uh, no, fraud is disenfranchising. Knowing that the ability to commit fraud is disenfranchising. See, I think I'm way less conspiratorial on this. I just think that if given the choice, the average person tends to lean left. So I'm not hard left, slightly left. But there's all of these people in Walk Away now coming out. There was just some. There was just some sheriff in uh, uh, Pennsylvania, I think it was, who basically said, "Look, I was a." I was a Democrat. I've always been a Democrat. I'm voting Republican because the left has gone too far left. It was a Tim Pool video. And he said, where are – he goes, yep, there's walk away stuff and it can be the Republicans throwing this out there. He goes, but where are the people walking away from the Republicans? Why aren't we hearing this story? Yeah, sure. They had John Kasich up there and Steve Schmidt uh, at at their DNC. But where's the movement of people leaving? And he says, yeah, there are plenty of people who say I'm not going to vote for Trump. But they're not people who were Republicans who voted for him and now are not voting for him again. And certainly there are those people out there. But there are so many – the whole Blexit movement, there are so many people out there. And all anybody can tell you is on the left is say, well, it's fake. It's all just made up. Then they make up a lot of it. I mean there's an awful lot of it that gets made up then because you hear it all the time. And then the guy who started Walk Away, who's gay, he was attacked by BLM Brandon, at a rally. Brandon Strzok. Yeah, at a rally. They yep. were, I, I heard they were shouting homophobic oh, yeah. slurs at him. Yeah. yeah. And now there's a uh, – just before I, we got on the show, I got an email from Raven sending me a thing from a black guy on Twitter who I don't recognize. He's not really on Twitter. But he said, uh, he said, look at the faces in this picture. It was Antifa people. He goes – Mostly white, covering their faces, tearing up black neighborhoods. He goes, when are we going to start calling them what they are? And he starts calling them Clantifa. <laughs> That's funny. I like it. I wouldn't be surprised now if they're going to say, see, it, it is Trump doing this. Mm-hmm. Trump's Trump's back in Antifa. Okay. Antifa, who's, you know, Jerry Nadler says doesn't exist. So false flagging it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll, they'll uh, The left will talk about any kind of uh, conspiratorial talk from – the right is being wacky and kooky, but they're they're very eager to take conspiracy theories and and, and run with them. Well, they've got proof because hmm. it's a picture of white people. Yeah, 
and we all know white people are racist. So therefore, Trump's Trump's an idiot. Yep. So well, speaking of BLM, this is the one will probably make burn me loot murder. Yeah, this yeah this will probably make me angry. More BLM activists terrorize more restaurant goers. So we've been seeing these videos of BLM protesters, activists going up to outdoor eating and saying, you know, raising their fist in black solidarity and saying, if you don't, you know, if you don't raise your fist and you don't say her name and all that, then you're an enemy and they get not happening and they get in their faces. It's not happening. Yeah. So, um, the latest one is even more stark. It's basically, uh, someone, you know, yells out, fuck white people, (laughs) fuck the 12, you know, and of course, which is, which is police, the police, sorry. Um, so this is from uh, Crowder, Louder Crowder website, and I'm just going to play the audio that they have instead of what they say. So this is Pittsburgh. No, you old dick. So fuck the white people that set up this system, you old dick. They sound very well, uh, well adjusted to this group of people. Yeah, so they're like basically, basically walking up through a barricade and going over to the tables. This this woman takes a drink off the table and starts drinking it, and then tosses the glass. big party for these motherfuckers, isn't it? Pounding their little drums. Alright, enough. So, this this is the fruit of the seeds of the people the left voted for. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, the economy is, it can't, it can't get over what this fucking COVID shit's been doing. It, it's not going to recover easily um, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to get past this. A lot of these restaurants, especially, you know, I'm from we're from Minnesota here and we're seeing all these restaurants and breweries closing up. And, you know, you can only sustain for so long, even if they're opening back up in limited degree or limited capacity where they have the, you know, a half the tables available and then they're, um, you know, limiting contact and all that. It, it's it's the the margin is not big enough to to support that they aren't going to be able to last doing well and i keep telling people about this in the hospitality industry the the storm hasn't come yet everybody thinks okay you know if we just get past the election and covid lessons no those restaurants and bars need the money in the summer yeah to get through the slow part the, the damage has already been done yeah. You're just not seeing the full effect of it yet, and well, you will. I think of that. Do you ever watch Shark Tank? Rarely. I love watching that show for uh, Kevin O'Leary, mm-hmm. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. He'll say stuff to people sometimes. They come in with, and they'll be like, he goes, your company's – you're dead. You're you're done. You're bankrupt. And they're like, no, no, no. This is, And he goes, no, you're coming here to get us to invest in a failing business to save it. He goes, your business is dead, and you don't even know it yet. <laughs> And the difference is I think a lot of these bars and restaurants know they're dead, know they're not going to make it through January, February. Yeah. Hell, if they even make it to January or February. 
And what are they going to do? Well, and I think the way things are going, yeah, they have patio um, uh, seating available, but when the when the cold weather comes around, nobody's going to be sitting out in a patio. So then what is, is walls going to actually stick to it and say, no, this, the, I see a new surge of COVID happening. We're going to have to really clamp down on these restaurants more. Do you think the restaurants can handle, they can't even, they haven't even been able to handle what's, what's already happened. Like you said, they're dead and they know it. Well, and the other part of this is when you, when you have to close down and you have to open up again, you got to get rid of all the food you had when you close down. When you open again, you have to order a bunch of food to ramp back up. These people don't have the capital to keep doing that stuff. And you can have all the, uh, all of the, uh, you know, rescue programs in the world. But the problem with that is that those, especially the way this, and I, I'm all for the PPP stuff. They needed to do those loans and everything. But one of the mistakes they're making is that those loans are seen as income so they can tax them. So if your business got a $120,000 loan to stay in business, it is seen as income for your business. Yikes. Yeah. So when that comes due. So, well, you're going to have, you're going to have a loan and it's, again, I'm all for it. It's a, it's the cheapest money you're ever going to borrow. It's like 1%. You get Mm -hmm. like five years to pay it back. That saved a lot of businesses. I'm not arguing against PPP, but because in the tax code, they made it so it's income. They did it so they can tax it. You know, they got to be able to get some of that money back. So, you know, these businesses were having losses that helps them tax-wise because you get to claim those losses. And I've had friends who don't understand how the tax code works say, well, see, that's to their advantage. You're like, you would much rather pay the tax on the money you earned than get a discount for the loss you took. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Get So it's stupid to say that that's an advantage for them. But now this is going to inflate that income level that instead of covering for that law, it's going to cover some of that loss up. So they're not going to be able to deduct as much. They didn't really make any money. This is just money that you had to use to pay staff. So now some of these businesses that were kind of in the middle, well, now they're not going to be able to take any loss. They're actually going to show income. But they didn't get any. Right. You know? So it's, it's just – People don't get how bad this is going to be. And every time I see a restaurant close around here, you read the comments on it, like, you know, Pizza Luce closed or whatever Curtin's it is. closed. Yeah, or it closed. Or, brewing. Yeah, and people go, why would they close? They don't make any fucking money. That's well, why. and then you've got the writers like the, from the city pages that write up, up these local business closing. They make every excuse other than the fact that all the shutdown has basically fucked over the economy. Well, so you mentioned Surly. Surly Brewing, great place, by the way. I'm not a big fan of Surly Beer. Yeah, I'm not either, but. But the the place they design, the beer hall they have yeah. and stuff, it's it's amazing. And you can go there and get good food. And on a uh, nice night in Minneapolis, you can hang out there. And, I mean, geez, the place probably seats three, 400 yeah, people. Yeah, it's a cool place. And it's got, you know, fires outside. And it's sort of, it's sort of in the warehouse district, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, just it's in a nice spot and. Not enough parking, but hey, whatever. Uh, they um, they they have a good setup. You can go upstairs and order pizzas, and they're really good. And well, now their um, their uh, staff is talking about unionizing. It's like 120 employees. And Surly says the next day, "Well, we're closing our beer hall for good. We just, you know, we're gonna sell beer. We're gonna use that space for production." I I think they'd said that, or that they could. 
but it's it's too expensive to manage the space. And guess what? The riots didn't help. COVID didn't help. And now we're going in a winter. So, and people go, yeah, this is uh, this is illegal. They can't do this because they're uh, it's retaliation for retaliation yeah. for being. So think about this for a second. Even if you're not a business owner, your business was let's let's say it was profitable. Your business was making money. Your employees say we're going to unionize, and in a 24-hour window, you go, let's just close the whole thing down. Yeah, let's just do that. No, this decision was made a while back, and the timing was inconvenient. Remember when we mentioned that earlier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it cuts both ways, people. Yeah. So it doesn't. These these big beer halls and stuff, they're great, but this is the nuclear arms race of craft beer. People are just trying to make a cooler place to hang out and drink craft beer. Well, beers like Surly, you know, they they become more mainstream. I mean, they're at the they're at the twin stadium and everything. So Surly is becoming it's gone past that just sort of local craft beer thing. It's it's big, it's nationwide. More of an industry than So they're than probably looking local. at it like we yeah. don't have to be this cool place for everybody to hang out and you know, people want to see our, you know, we didn't make some seasonal beer that went away and we never made again. Yeah, they can they can just ship their stuff nationwide and make money as a beer distributor, you know, yeah. and, and send it out that way. Uh, whereas like the, just the upstart beer breweries, they have to kind of gain, gain, they have to get a foothold and then they have to gain a reputation and word of mouth and all that kind of stuff. It, that's They need that. They can't just automatically go, we got a great new beer and we're going to ship it all over the country. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so... You know, you can say Surly didn't want to have unionized employees, so they shut it down. If they were making money, they'd, they'd handle the union deal. Yeah. Lots of people have done it. They probably wouldn't like it, but they didn't put their politics, I believe, in front of their uh, in front of their pocketbook. And also, I still don't think, even if like it was specifically because the employees were talking about unionizing, I don't think you should be punished for thing. You know what? I think it's going to destroy the business. I don't think we're going to be able to afford it. So specifically because you guys said you're going to unionize, I'm closing the doors and we're firing all of you. That shouldn't be illegal either. It's not illegal. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, I have known people who have small, you know, shops, telephone, you know, sell telephone systems or something and have 20 employees. And those employees have talked about unionizing and someone, you know, the the boss gets together with them and goes, here's the deal. You guys unionize, I'm selling the shop. I'm out. You know, New owner will probably fire you. Yeah. New owner. Well, actually, you have to be fired yeah. before the new owner comes in. So Yeah, the new. Yeah, that's true. People forget that. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway. Uh, you want to do a couple of would you rathers? Yes. Or, no, we're not doing would you rathers anymore. This is 3,000 questions about me. We're doing me. tell me about you. Tell me about you. What are you thinking? Um, oh, I forgot to mark off where we last were. By the way, so let me ask you something. If somebody says to you, what are you thinking? And you say nothing. Does that really mean nothing? Like I honestly wasn't thinking about anything or I don't want to tell you what I was thinking. No, it's so inane that it's not even worth talking about usually. It's like something so dumb like you're like you're multiplying things in your head or you've like got a song stuck in your head or like you're just random. I mean stuff that's like I don't even want to tell you because it's so dumb. But have you, have you ever had a time where there's literally nothing going on in your head? Probably not. I didn't think so either. But sometimes you've had something so inane going on that, like, when someone asks you and you also go, what was I thinking about? I don't even know. It was so inane. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. You know? All right. What is your favorite occupation? Like, one that I would want to do? Yeah, I don't know what the what they're asking with that one. I don't know either. Yeah. If you could have any job, what would it be? Yeah, I don't know. What's your favorite occupation? 
Uh, I would say um, independent podcaster. That would be my ah, favorite there thing. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I'd be like a, a warlord of a compound or something. You know, like, I, a, like an apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic compound. I'm going to make my uh, second Game of Thrones uh, reference in one podcast, Uh-oh. which is unusual. There's a great line in there where they said, uh, "Winning a kingdom is way more is way easier than uh, I'm paraphrasing. It's far easier than ruling it." Ah. I think it would if you were a warlord, you'd be watching your back all the time. You'd be somebody testing your food for you. Yeah. Oh, I'd be paranoid as hell. Oh yeah, you're already paranoid as hell. Be looking out for those for those infiltrators. Yeah. Um, what is your most marked characteristic? I would think that would be like something that's like appearance or something in your. Uh, I'd say my horse wang. <laughs> pretty, you, pretty marked. The one you keep in a jar on your yes. mantle. Yes. I, I don't was, know why. I, I don't know why you have. That off. I don't know why you have that thing. <laughs> it's, it's pickled. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mine is probably sarcasm. I yeah. I got a lot of that. Or do I? Yeah. Mine probably be like a like barely contained seething hatred. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, what do you value? What do you most value in your friends? We talked about this one, I think. Yeah, I think they're just doing different versions loyalty. of the same. Yeah, loyalty is probably the number one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, some consistency is nice. If you have a friend that's a real flake, they're not really a friend. Like if they never, if they say they're going to do things and they never show up or they never put any effort into making things happen or they never, you know, want to make time to get together or whatever, that's not really a friend. I don't see, I don't know. I I have a friend uh, who I think will probably know who exactly who I'm talking about when I mention this because he listens. Um, you know, can you count on to show up to everything no can you count on him to send you a birthday card no but never asked him to you know that kind of stuff and uh you know kind of person who might make plans with you and might go uh eh, you know i'm not feeling up to it so you know i'm just gonna stay home but at one of the lowest points in my life he was the guy who showed up like said hey come on get out of bed let's go yeah let's go do something but i, I do like somebody who at least is up front saying i'm just not feeling it they don't they're not like that tell you, oh yeah, I'll do something, and they or they cancel last minute, or they don't show up. That's not. I I I get that. Absent the other stuff, yeah, that person could be annoying. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I don't know. That would be like uh, somebody asked if you asked to help you with mundane things. Hey, can you help me move? Hey, can you help? Me? And they were like, ah, no, no. And you'd be like, that son of a bitch. And then like when you really needed somebody, you know, you were in the hospital. That person yeah. showed up and brought you dinner, and you know what I mean. That yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so still loyalty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, all right. Foxhole friends, I think. Yeah. You know, the kind of, we've mentioned this before, but the kind of person who you would call and say, my car broke down in a shitty part of town and it's three in the morning. And they'd be like, all right, I'll be there. Yep. You know. Yep. But if you're, if you're having a party, they might go, yeah, maybe I'll show up, but I really don't feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, did you uh, did we talk much about Kenosha Kyle last time? We did. Uh, we went kind of through the timeline of what happened. I, I I think this was before we got even the full story because I think I mentioned that he 
you know, was helping. Um, he was there to protect business and help people. But also, he was working there as a lifeguard. We didn't mention that last time. Yeah, he works in town. Yeah, so I think last time we talked about it, we didn't say that. That he actually didn't just go over there from Illinois, which, you know, just right across the border. He was actually doing lifeguard duty that day. And after, so he was there working and then was cleaning graffiti off walls. And so, yeah, the Kenosha kid, they're calling him now, which I like. Kyle the Kenosha kid? <laughs> Somebody, someone who's calling Triple K? <laughs> like, oh. I wouldn't do that. Oh. You know? No. Um, but two things about that. One, the small one is, you know, Trump wanted to speak with the family via phone. And they said, uh, no, Trump wouldn't even speak with us. Well, a few more things came out about that. Trump said uh, that this family wanted their lawyer on the phone. And Trump was like, why do you have to have your lawyer on the phone to talk to me? You know, and he said, no, I'm not doing that, which some people should say, hey, he can be bigger than that. But I mean, the way they go after this guy, I would just say, you know, look, if you don't want to talk, then that's fine. You don't need the lawyer on the line. But then Trump said, no, their pastor said they don't need to talk about this. They don't want to make a big deal out of it. The family came out and said, we don't have a pastor. And CNN, MSNBC all went, aha, gotcha. Well, it turns out he talked to the pastor of the mother of the dad. So Jacob Blake's grandmother's pastor, whose father was the one saying, oh, we don't have a pastor. And he goes, well, yeah, they talked to my mom's pastor, but that's not ours. Well, how the fuck is Trump supposed to know that? Yeah. He talked to a pastor that a family member told him to talk to who said, nah, I don't think the family wants to talk to you. So he didn't. I, just, I hate how this stuff gets blown out of proportion. But the part that I really want to get into with this is, you know, the LeBron James stuff. He was going to make the uh, – he was going to, you know, the, the NBA was talking about canceling its season over this and blah, blah, blah. So the details come out of what happened. And I'm sorry I'm going to get graphic here for a second. But Jacob Blake broke into this woman's house at 6 in the morning, went into her room where her child was sleeping in the bed with her. Don't know how old the child is. Um penetrated her with his fingers, held him to his face and said, smells like you've been with other men. And the cop who took this report said, it was very difficult for her to tell me this. It was traumatic for her. So the cops show up. He basically says, fuck you to the cops. Knife in hand. Did he have his knife in hand? He had a carambit in his hand, which is one of those little hooked blades. Okay. And uh, he had the keys to her friend's car. Right. So the car with the kids in it, was not even, they're like, oh, in front of his kids. They weren't his kids. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I know it wasn't his car. Yeah. Well, sorry, they said kids he doesn't have custody of. Mm -hmm. So uh, at 6 in the morning, again, to break into someone's house. So the cops get into it with him. They try and de-escalate it. Next thing you know, they're fighting with him. He's got one of them in a headlock. They tase him twice. And he says, allegedly, I'm going back to the, I'm going to the car to get my gun. Or I'm going to get my gun and shoot you fuckers or whatever. Walked away from the cops. They followed him the whole time. I mean, opens the car door, doesn't try and get in, reaches in for something. Yeah. This so, is the guy LeBron James is defending. So suffice to say, the guy deserved it and he's a piece of shit. And LeBron James is acting like this guy was an innocent victim of, of white racist police. Right. So when Jason Whitlock went off on this thing, like we said, you know, tells the whole story. But so then there, you know, LeBron James is trying to distance himself from this, but still stay in the, uh, you know, because 
you know, one day later they found out, you know, you don't, you don't play, there's no pay. We mentioned this last time. But so now they get LeBron James and it's, it's such a setup thing. He's outside practice one day, he's sitting there, he's reading Malcolm X. Yeah. And one of the reporters goes, oh, Malcolm X, so what are you reading? What's it like? And he's like, it's obvious he has not read it. He goes, yeah, brilliant man, you know, knew a ton of stuff, said a lot of important things. Like what? And he goes, I can't just spit it out off the top of my head right now. You know, and they didn't go, you, you read like half that book. You can't. Yes, he performed his own little photo op with that Nothing book. really grabs you on that. And then the video I was watching of this goes on to say, well, here's what LeBron James must not have read. And it was an interview with Malcolm X where he was talking with this white guy and he says, unlike a TV show, and he says, the worst kind of person is the white liberal. He says, that's the fox. Yeah. He says, the, the other white people are You can wolves. actually sit down and deal with, with, uh, with yeah, they're non-liberal wolves. whites. He goes, they're wolves. And you know what a wolf is. Yeah, very he straightforward. Goes, you see a wolf coming. He goes, but a fox, fox smiles, sneaks up to, you know, up with, up to you, steals the chickens. You know, he goes, the fox all along smiles, even when it's showing you its teeth, you know, and he says, I've got no time for those kinds of people. And I think Malcolm X would be looking at this stuff going, you people are getting played. Yeah. Because they are, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, so this, this guy, this piece of shit that got shot and paralyzed, um, Jacob Blake is his name. So you were talking about how Trump talked to the pastor of the family. And that was some sort of, uh, not conspiracy, but. They say it didn't happen. Yeah. So uh, Joe Biden finally decided he's going to go do something. So he went and here's from the HuffPo. Huffington Post. Joe Biden speaks to police shooting victim. <laughs> I love how they wrote write that. Jacob Blake by phone during the Kenosha visit. The Democrat presidential nominee met with Blake's family in person during a trip to Kenosha that focused mainly on community healing. Were they all wearing masks? Oh, I'm sure they were. Were they socially distancing? Um, while speaking to community leaders at Grace Lutheran Church, Biden said he spent an hour with the Blake family and spoke with Blake, who was paralyzed from the waist down, and remains hospitalized on the phone for about 15 minutes. He's out of ICU, the Democrat presidential nominee said. He talked about how nothing was going to defeat him, how whether he walked again or not, he was not going to give up, Biden said. Give up what? And nothing's going to defeat him? He's going to he's gonna give up sexually so, assaulting so women? So he's going to go back and he's going to sexually assault uh, more women? Uh, and you're you're saying that Biden is if that's something that you should be repeating, like with with a sense of pride mm -hmm. that he said that to you or that you're proud of the fact he said that or you're proud to relay that fucking message, you piece of shit. This is the guy who just said we don't teach history in school anymore. Hey, Joe, who's running the schools? We don't teach history in school anymore. Thomas Edison didn't invite the, invent the light bulb. A black man invented the light bulb. Yeah. No, no, he didn't, Joe. There was a I forget the name of the guy. There was a black man who did invent. A new filament for light bulbs, but Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. This yeah. is these people think they can just start changing history because it sounds good. Well, and, and first Biden was talking shit about Trump going to Kenosha, saying, "Well, it's not good," and the the mayor saying, "No, you're just going to make things worse." And then Trump showed up and didn't make things worse and did what he was supposed to do, what mm -hmm. you should do in, in, in a situation like that. So Biden, of course, you know, decides, well, I have to follow Trump and do whatever Trump does. And so he goes and then he does the exact wrong thing. But that's what you expect from him to do the exact wrong thing 
at all times, which is go sit there and talk to this fucking turd and then relay a message from this turd as if what he has to say is anything fucking important. Well, I just I think that politicians and the media are stuck in their little Twitterverse bubble, which is what less than 2% in the entire country is on Twitter. And if you figure duplicate accounts, there's probably even fewer than that. And so they're running these campaigns and uh, policies via Twitter. Yeah. And that and, is and that not, people that are active on Twitter that are is pieces the, of shit too, usually, most of them. But it's not how the world works. Most people don't give a shit about what's happening on Twitter. Then, uh, 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 Kamala Harris, is when she, oh, when, you hateful bitch. When they were talking about uh, the riots and, and, the, and the protesting and looting and all that, she basically condoned that too and said, well, it's going to keep happening at this, this, with this racist system. So you've got these two fucking absolute pieces of shit that have no business in any kind of leadership position running for president and vice president. Well, it's what amazing. Did, what did Biden say? And I don't want to misquote it because I don't want to do what I accuse the media all the time. But he said words to the effect of Trump can't stop this. You know, if you elect Trump, this isn't going to stop. I'll look it up. And people were saying, that's a threat right there. Now, I don't think that's a threat. But – and I, I honestly believe what Joe Biden was saying was, hey, I'm the one who can stop the riots. Right. But there's there's a certain amount of people who are going to look at that and say, right or wrong, are you, are you telling me I have to put up with this because you're not going to be president? So from the Federalist, here's Biden. The violent riots will continue unless you vote Democrat. So is that a headline or is that a quote? Uh, that's the headline. So, but it's like quoted as a quotation. So let's see here. Um, does anyone believe there will be less violence in America if Donald Trump is reelected? So that's from his Twitter account. Right. That's what he says. So and then uh, someone responded to that nice place you've got there. It'd be a shame if someone burned it down. I'll pay it that production money. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I honestly don't think that's how Biden meant it. But again, I don't think Biden's running his campaign. Yeah. I think Joe is There's sort no of, ways. I think he's a lifetime politician piece of shit, but I also think he's sort of a moderate lefty. He's one of those sort of establishment people. Yeah. He just likes being, just like, just like, he likes being a popular politician. That's just his, like Lindsey Graham is on the right. Bread you know, and butter. Yeah. It's just how it's always been, you know, or Dick Durbin or any of those longtime senator types. And, you know, for them, it's just this tug of war from moderate left to moderate right. You know, they all want to – you know, what you said about the wrestling match is absolutely right. I mean, hey, nobody wants to lose their job here. We're all getting paid. You know, uh, how about I throw you over the top rope tonight? Tomorrow you hit me with a chair. Cool? And everybody yeah. will be fine. But we're not getting any new young blood wrestlers in here or anybody flashy who wants to run a different program. Well, now the flashy ones on the left want to be in charge. And guess what? When they throw you over the top rope, they they want you hurt. Yeah, they're going to you know? make sure you hit the stair, the metal stairs instead of the, the, yeah. the breakaway table. They're not tossing you into that covered right. turnbuckle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so and, uh, you know, they want they want to see some blood. And I think Biden is trying to be the guy who says, look, put me in there. I, I honestly don't think he wanted to run. No. But when he sort of got picked to do it because he was the only last moderate left who had a shot because Klobuchar wasn't going to get it. And uh, Pete Buttigieg was going to get his ass kicked if he if he did it. Everybody else was crazy, you know. 
And so, I mean, you got Bernie in there, and I think the establishment was going, shit, if this guy gets it, we're in big trouble. Because not, I think they're really not so much I, – I believe they've given up with the idea that they can beat Trump. I think they think Trump's going to win. They're yeah. hoping that the down-ballot damage isn't near as bad. Yeah. So, but – I think Joe honestly believes at this point, hey, I'm the one who can kind of rein all this stuff in. And he doesn't realize he's got a tiger by the tail there with the left. Yeah. So, Well, we want to talk about – I want to talk about this last time, but it's still relevant. Um, this article is from September 3rd about how in Minnesota here, the Hopkins superintendent came out with a video um, talking about the, the process and what they're going to do to reopen schools. And uh, the message was the system of racism pervades every aspect of daily existence. That's what the message was about. So we're going to play a little bit of this and we're going to comment on it. And does her voice just bug the shit out of you? It sure does. So this this video that she puts out is like it's 54 minutes long. So we're not going to be able to get through all of it. But it starts out with talking about the difficulties of dealing with um, some parents or some people want in-person schooling and some adamantly want distance learning but how the real heroes are the teachers the ones that uh, talk about how danger it would dangerous it is for them to get back and you know if they have any kind of health conditions that that's, they're putting themselves at risk so they're the real heroes rooster so here we go this is so that's what they start out talking about and then she transitions to this part here listen to this this brings me to the second opportunity our current crises yield for us I pluralized crises because so far we have only talked about the global health pandemic. In our communications to staff and families, we have referenced a dual pandemic. Mr. George Floyd, rest in power. I had to stop right there. That drives me fucking crazy. You so, don't like Marxist propaganda? Right, exactly. So this is the thing that the, uh, that the revolutionary Marxist uh, Antifa types do when their comrades um, end up getting struck down. They end up getting you know, injured or killed. They have a uh, memorial, memorial, memorialize them, and then they kind of um, they lionize them. They uh, make them uh, into martyrs for the cause. Black power. Black power. But they... Uh, what they do is instead of saying their name and going rest in peace, they go rest in power because, you know, no, because even after their deaths, they're going to move this. This movement's going to go forward and it's going to have power. It's not going to be peaceful. So this is propaganda. This is revolutionary Marxist um, doctrine. This is the kind of shit speak they use. And this superintendent is using that language right now. Mm hmm. Immediately, as soon as she starts talking about it, George Floyd, rest in power. And this is part of the reason kids are, and I know people will say, oh, it's just for the year. But people are fleeing public schools. Yeah. Now, yes, when COVID is gone and next year they can return to normal, many of those kids, maybe even a majority of those kids will come back. But you run the risk of exposing a bunch of kids who are capable, whose families are capable of paying for private school to giving them a sneak peek of private school. And if they send them there and they like it and they can afford it, they may not come back. Yeah. Which is good for society. Yeah. But you're going to start to see some of these schools fa fail. And now you're hearing about not only school choice, but did you hear who some of the people are backing school choice? Inner city black people. Yeah. Like we want to be able to get the hell out of here. Of course. Yeah. All right. So right off the bat, when, she's, when she talks about the dual crises, and I pluralize crisis into crises. Do you know what that means? 
it means more than one crisis. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's how she would talk to you. Yeah. It's like, she, I sometimes come off as condescending. That means I talk down to people. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you pat me on the head when you did that? <laughs> so let's continue. Plug my computer in and get that little high-pitched noise again. Love it. Love it. Mm. Get some good equipment, Music will Music to my ears. All right. Here we go. Mr. George Floyd, rest in power, is seemingly the contemporary face of the pandemic of racial injustice. Oh, this pandemic, pandemic of, of systemic injustice. racism not, has soiled this country, not just since. So it's, it has nothing to do with an actual disease that attacks the system and, and is a medical has a medical response. It's a racial injustice disease. Uh, racism is a disease. <laughs> it is a disease that is ruining our country. I'll, I'll, I'll try not to keep interrupting her. And slavery. Oh, I just have – wait. Okay. I have one interruption. When they put their hand in the air for black power, they've got a fist up like mm -hmm. that. What happened if they opened their fist and just made it like palm Ooh. out? What would that look like? Well, I, I – what? On an unrelated subject, I'm I'm very cognizant of like supporting Kyle over in Kenosha, the sh the shooter that's protected himself. You're really going to do this, and huh? I always want to tell You're people gonna... just remember, see Kyle, and just acknowledge him. Okay. <laughs> You're saying you acknowledge Kyle. I you, do. You see, I Kyle. see him, and I acknowledge Kyle. <laughs> so everybody else should see Kyle too. <laughs> Disavow. <laughs> I did not come up with that. <laughs> All right. Keep going here. Rest in power is seemingly the contemporary face of the pandemic of racial injustice. This pandemic of systemic racism has soiled this country not just since slavery, but since the genocide of the Native Americans and the American Indians who resided on and cared for this land. At our school board meeting this past Friday, Four high school scholars presented their research Students. and views on Hopkins deploying police presence in our schools. One scholar, a current junior, talked about the first time Student. he experienced racism as a child. This vivid memory he recounted was not an incident that happened in his neighborhood or in the grocery store or at a local park. Was it at the school? It happened in a school. <gasps> Hopkins Public it. Schools can no longer be a place where well, wait a scholars minute. What was this incident? racism. I know, I know. Racism I mean, if it was so affecting, it must have been so egregious that, that we would be appalled, schools. right? It does not belong anywhere. And in order to eradicate racism, we need to examine the role that whiteness plays in our macro system of white supremacy. Oh, my God. You know what it probably was? It was oh probably a white God. cop was walking by and there was an androgynous person walking past him. And he said to someone, a teacher or a homeowner or something, is that a boy or a girl? And the black kid goes, did you just call me boy? <laughs> there we go. I wouldn't be surprised. If no, I wouldn't either. Yeah. We're going to play a little bit more. I think that pretty much the gist of what we want to get through. I'm just going to play a little bit more just to see if I need to get outraged by anything else here. As we intentionally work to turn crisis into opportunity. Whoa, 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 whoa. Crises. Well, isn't this uh, Rahm Emanuel saying about never let a good crisis go to waste? Yeah. Hopkins Public Schools will work intentionally to become an anti-racist system. 
Well, then you need Isn't to- an anti-racist system a segregated system? Yeah, I was going to say, if you really want to get rid of racism, then you need to get rid of um, anything that differentiates between the races. Look, Thomas Sowell put this very well, and I don't think he came up with it, but if he did, great. But it really changed my thinking on this stuff. Racism is something that happens in someone's head. The, the manifestation of racism is discrimination. Right. He said, so we have to, we can't have discrimination. We've got to make sure we're not discriminating. He goes, but the idea that we can get rid of racism, he says, is ridiculous. Well, then what she needs to do is to stop this crisis is to get rid of affirmative action. Right. Get rid of scholarships based on race. Right. Um, um, gender. Now, in her defense, I don't think high schools have scholarships based on race. But just academia in general. Right. Um, and and the, I'm sure the um, she's talking about the the teachers and the administration that has to be a certain percentage at least – Higher than the higher than the representative um, percentage in population, it's got to be more. It's got to be more visual, you know. Just because, um, let's say, black people are thirteen percent of the population, well, we can't just settle for thirteen percent of black people in these positions because, you know, historically, it's the system of whiteness has been oppressing. So we have to double, triple, maybe quadruple that number. I don't know. The sky's the limit, really. Well, technically, if you're really going to do that, then if you have a black principal, isn't it skewing the percentages? I mean, be predominantly white. So if you round up, you'd have to have a white principal. If you're going to get rid of all discrimination. Mind blown. I, my point <laughs> is this is just ridiculous it is. stuff. I'm done. I mean, there's this is 17 minutes into it. And there's, you know, this is it's 50, an hour yeah, long. So we're not going to go into the whole thing. But it's all pretty much just this. Bullshit. Yeah, absolute. A lot of word salad. A lot of, uh, a lot of using the words straight out of like the Marxist um, playbook. They're going to be more intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about our truth. Yeah. You know, just all these stupid phrases that it's all it comes down to is we hate capitalism. We hate merit based society because we can't perform. Black power. Black power. We need to get, we need to get more of that, you know, because that's not racist. You know, what's funny is so many kids just roll their eyes at this stuff. Oh Yeah. They, I mean, they're not stupid. Right. You know, it's just like the idea that if you don't, if in a kid's soccer game, if you don't keep score, nobody ever feels like they were, uh, you know, uh, beaten. We're all, you know, we're just having fun. Yeah. And then the kids will be like. Yeah, we're keeping score. <laughs> yeah. Kids will be like, yeah, we lost nine to one. And yeah. they'll be like, well, we don't keep score. And they'll look at you like, sure. Yeah, you don't. But, you know, they're talking about coming back to school and trying to make it function but then she has to spend an inordinate amount of time on this bullshit which means it's it's number one priority for them is indoctrination here's what i think is going to happen um teachers union with the next five years is going to start to dissolve because the younger teachers who are getting screwed by this because first of all they were in inner city schools because they got to take the crappy jobs so now their jobs are getting eliminated right because yep. they're farther down the union, the new guys get fired first. So when schools have these multiple layoffs because, you know, in a thousand, thousand student, sorry, scholar, <laughs> elementary school, uh, 300 parents bail, and now there's eight teachers they don't need. You know, a couple of those teachers knew they were on the bubble. They were new. They've only been there a year. They might have to move a grade, but they could lose their job. You're six, seven, eight teachers into this, and they're going, 
shit, I'm not supposed to lose my job. Yeah. And the people on the top end are like, I'm not going anywhere because I've been here a long time. But some of those people even are going to retire soon. So you've got these other teachers who are saying, two weeks before I was supposed to go back to school, I lost my job. You know? Well, now when you have these parents who are going to middle school or uh, private schools and things like that, you're going to have – these schools are going to have to consolidate. They're going to have to say, all right, well, we had, you know, 12 elementary schools and three middle schools. We're going to have, you know, nine elementary schools and two middle schools. That's just how it's going to be. So there's a bunch of teachers' jobs that are going to go away. The teachers' union is going to have to start to embrace school choice because that's the way they'll save their jobs is bringing students in from other areas to fill these schools. But it's still going to hit somebody somewhere because the amount of kids is dropping. And this is happening with colleges too, by the way. But uh, So the teachers are going to have to buy into school choice. They're going to have to just to keep their jobs. And once that happens and parents are leaving for other schools and funding starts dropping and teachers start getting lost, pretty soon the old guard of those teachers' unions will have retired. The new people that they would have had coming in being the new blood all lost jobs and maybe got dis disenchanted with the union and are in a different occupation now. Or they're like, hey, the union is not my friend. You know? Yeah, but I think the messaging still is. Um, they're still trying to get the messaging that it's not it's not our lack of 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 merit. Or, or doing it right, it's the system that's making things fucked up that we're in. And their 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 push is to you know get into a system where we don't have to worry about all this. It's a uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Yeah, I I get that. And that's what it all comes down to: trying to get us past this merit system into socialism, where it doesn't matter anymore. But the problem is, you still have let's just say half the parents. At at worst worst case for our side, forty percent of the parents. Who are just saying, I'm not having that for my kid. And they move them to a different school. So you can have whatever mantra you want. You can have whatever plan you want. But if you don't have the students to support the amount of kids, the schools are going to start to fail. And my point is you are going to see a mass exodus from these schools. You're already seeing it. How many of those kids come back? We have yet to see. But I'll tell you as a business person, the last thing I want is for my competition to have a shot at you if you're my customer. You know, if you say, well, I'm just going to go try the other place. I'll be like, mm, do you really want to do that? Well, and so I build that relationship with my customers. Because but they don't look at it that way. They look at it, they're going to make everything mandatory. They're going to force you to have, it doesn't, it doesn't but that's not no, going to have anything to do with it. That's no different in my business of saying, well, who are you going to go to? That cheap ass over there? Yeah. You're not going to go. And then they do. And suddenly you're like, shit, I don't have as many customers as I had before. And you have to look at these schools. I know they're not for profit, but you have to look at them in a business way. And the business is these are taxpayers who go to your school. And if your school doesn't perform and if your school isn't good and school's not safe, those people will – they will literally move. They will either move their kid to another school or they will pack up and move to a good school Right, district. but that's why their their goal or their idea, their outlook is not to think of it in that in those terms. People like this, their their goal is to look at it as what's the end game? We need to basically get rid of choice. You're not going to have the ability to choose a different school when we're done. They're all going to be the same. 
They're going to have the same curriculum. They're going to have the same standards. And it's going to be a utopia, like socialist utopia. And they say, you know, that's that's the end goal of this, even though there's really no way to get there without violent revolution. <laughs> well, I, I get that that's what they want. But what you want and what you get. But they're going to do all kinds of shenanigans in the meantime, trying to eliminate the choice and punish people for for trying to, you know, trying to you know, make something happen. That's why it's, they're so against, so virulently against school I, choice. I get that. that. That's why they're trying to say that private schools can't distance learn right. and charter yeah. schools it's can't open. Yeah, they're yeah, trying. The but, competition. But look, just look at back at all of these things in a macro sense. We, we uh, talked about, I think, the first political mistake Trump made at the very beginning of this podcast. We were talking about how he said McCain, you know, wasn't a war hero. And I thought right then his president, presidential run was done. And he went through 20 more items like that, you know, and he just kept getting stronger. And here's the thing. Everything the left is doing, everything they're doing is only going the other direction. It looks like Trump may be on pace to get more black voters than any Republican president has ever gotten. And they keep doubling down on this stuff and it keeps getting worse for them. And so what I'm saying is they can have that agenda with the schools all they want. But it's not going to hold up. Yeah. It just can't do it. There's a reason most revolutions fail. And I think they're trying a revolution here that they can't sustain. Yeah, they're, it's desperate. I mean, they've been working slowly behind, like secretively behind behind the scenes for years, from since the 40s. Uh, these Marxists that want to, you know, they come from the, uh, what's the school? Um, the Frankfurt, Frankfurt School oh. is what they come from. And it's it's all about, you know, ushering in, getting rid of capitalism, getting rid of merit-based stuff and getting socialism and making a utopia. The Frankfurt School? Yeah. I'd never heard of that before. Really? So it's all the it, – it comes from Germany and there was like all these elites that were kind of leftist elites that uh, were talking about socialism was the way to go, you know. And after the war, a lot of them ended up coming over here to America and bringing that ideology and that's kind of the, the roots of Marxism in America comes from the people that immigrated here from Germany and those areas after the war. So in the 40s, and they brought that kind of ideology and they kind of infiltrated, started infiltrating the systems, the Hollywood and the education system and the um, what else are they into? Um, everything. Pretty much everything. So the, all the institutions of power. Well, here's the thing. How come nobody ever talks about how much shit the Germans start all the time? <laughs> a couple of world wars, yeah. you know, this bullshit. Yeah. Come on. So. That's a way to end it. Fucking Germans. Fucking Germans. <laughs> Saying this comedian I heard once, he was talking about, he goes, you know what I hate? It's the Dutch and especially the hearing impaired ones. He goes, it's this damn deaf Dutch. We're messing everything up. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, if you want to get in contact or contact with us, it's rooster at bread and com or crow at bread and com. And let's face it. You really do want to get in contact with us. Who and wouldn't? You, yeah, I know. And you can also do that on our Facebook page, bread and circuses podcast. Uh, and give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. Damn it. Get off your lazy iPad pushing buttons ass and put a review on there. See you. Bye. 